Our uh, scripture reading tonight will be from the New Testament, the book of Romans, the first 11 verses. And if, please allow me to give some words of introduction as we prepare to, uh, to read that. Romans chapter 5, the first 11 verses. And uh, let me begin this way. I'm speaking very directly to you if I can. If you and a, a deeply trusted friend were uh, together in a very undisturbed setting, the kind of setting where you could really talk, just you and a, re you and a really trusted friend, and they were to ask you, are you at peace with God? What would you say? You don't have to answer out loud. But I mean it. I mean, I'm trying to create a, a scenario for thinking about it where you really could speak freely. You really could speak openly, unguardedly, earnestly. And the question we're put to you, do you have peace with God? Um, in, in all of my prison chapels where I am, we've been for some, some many weeks now because we're already up at chapter 9, uh, in the New Testament book of Romans, that's where we've been for quite a lot, quite a while. I bring you this from chapter 5, uh, but I've been in, in, in Romans for a good long time here. Um, and you know, in Romans, in, in that letter, the apostle is not shy about speaking of the wrath of God. The whole letter starts that way. The wrath of God is, is being revealed against all the godlessness and unrighteousness of men, the suppression of the truth and, and those kinds of things. So he's not been shy about that. And even in this passage, you'll hear it as we go, he makes reference to the concept of enemies of God, counting himself at one time among them. We were enemies of God, he would say. But also as we read, actually right as soon as we read, you'll hear him speak of having peace now with God. And that's why I ask. Um, I really am asking, looking all across the room, I'm asking you to think, what, what, what would you say in the most open conversation, trusted friend, are you? at peace with God. Um, think, think, for, think with me just for a minute about what it would mean to be, I mean, you know of this, to be at peace with God. Um, truly at peace with the one who made heaven and earth. Truly at peace with the one from whom comes every good thing and everything truly meaningful and beautiful, all that's admirable, all that's worthy, to be at peace with the God of wisdom, of strength, of justice, of compassion, of the power of life itself and of eternal life. What would that mean? That's everything. To be at peace with Him the most encouraging, the most hope-filled, the most solid, the most stable place to be is to be at peace with God. Um, as we get ready to read here, note, take note of something. 
the apostle will speak of objective things. When he writes, he's going to speak of objective things. Whether, whether or not we feel at peace is its own important topic. But he's not beginning to speak there. He's beginning to speak of what is the case. Are we at peace? Do you know the difference that I'm talking about? Feeling, whether we sense, perceive, feel at peace. But he's talking about objective things, whether we are at peace. I could, I could easily imagine someone who had no overt feeling, no subjective sense of being at odds with God, who was at odds with God. No overt sense of it. Someone who might be living a def, you know, definitively God-less life, but might be thinking, why would God have any problem with me? So subjectively, in his own sense of his world, he may not feel at odds, but he may not be at peace. Conversely, I can imagine someone who has biblical cause for resting in the reality of peace with God who is still struggling with that confidence. I could picture that. I could picture that in a room like this. I could picture that in my own soul. I could, that, that, that sort of thing. Um, so, yes, the, the matter of whether we perceive peace and on the right grounds and that, but I think where the apostle begins here is to speak of the reality of the case. Are you at peace with God? And we hear him make reference to it like that's something that he's found. Uh, he was not always, this author, the apostle Paul, was not always at peace with God. Um, that way. Listen to some of the things. And I realize I'm doing a lot of introduction, but listen to some things that he will touch on. These are objective things. He will talk about being justified. That's an objective thing. Justified or not justified. He will talk about, he will talk about having gained access to God's grace through Jesus Christ. He will speak actually of a place of standing in that grace. That's objective. He will speak of God having poured out His love. That's from God's side of the equation. That's objective. Having poured out His love into our hearts by His Holy Spirit. He will speak of that. He will speak of what will happen on a specific day. Again, he's not been shy about speaking of God's wrath. There is a day of wrath mentioned in Romans more than once. A day, a coming day. But here he'll speak objectively of what will happen on that day. And then he speaks of reconciliation as something that he has received. So all those objective things. And my very genuine hope for your soul this evening is that um, you would be able to find rest on gospel grounds, the, the knowledge of being at peace with God. The experience of peace on the grounds of the reality of peace. That's what I'm hoping. And again, you know, think of, think of me in my prison chapels. 
trying to think through with that, think through it for my own soul, for, for them and everything. So let's read. Let's read God's Word. This is the book of Romans, chapter 5, the first 11 verses. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Or perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. There's some encouraging elements in there. Objective things uh, that are anchors for our hope. Um, All through this good letter, uh, Romans, um, all of what is said, let's say, in chapter 5, these first 11 verses, um, flows from what he's already established as he's been making his case from the beginning about the gospel. And he's been saying that the key to having peace with God, the key to things being made right between you and God, is something that God has given rather than something that you have labored adequately to receive. It's something accessed by trust rather than the fulfillment of a sufficient quota of duties. It is accessed by discovering and by believing the reality of His compassion for your need and by depending on Him, not by labor, by discovering that it is mercy, this, this hope of, of being reckoned righteous is by mercy. It's not a remuneration from uh, things earned in that way. And I love the fact that just here in this chapter and for the first time in the letter, he mentions the idea of being reconciled reconciled. It's not absent from the earlier in the letter, but as far as him mentioning it, this is the first time in verse 10 and 11 that he mentions 
reconciliation. So, this business of being counted righteous in God's sight is not just a a cold legal reckoning. It is a restoration for you, a restoration for you to God personally. Reconciliation to Himself. Um, And there's love. The matter of love is here. Right at the core of everything. The matter of love is here. Personal reaching out to you. Personal kindness. Restoration of relationship. Can I ask you this? Um, Again, no out loud responses necessary. I always get to do out loud responses, so that's my my best way um, that way. But have you ever reached out to someone for reconciliation, someone who's done wrong to you? Have you ever reached out to them just because you love them? And not even necessarily because they've tried to make amends with you, but just because of your love for them, reached out toward them for reconciliation. I mean, if you, if, if you have any sense of that, it's just a, a beginning taste of what's going on as God has reached out for reconciliation. Um, and again, as, as the Apostle speaks of reconciliation, he speaks about it as something that has been received. We have received reconciliation. Um, and so it, it is a reality that can be described. You know, across these verses, let's say 1 to 11, I'll, let me give you four or five ways the apostle doesn't speak. Can a pastor do that? He's, he, he's not speaking this way, right? He doesn't say, well, therefore, since we're in the process of attempting to gain justification, he doesn't talk like that. He doesn't say, we're... we're We're getting closer to peace with God. The harder we work at it. He doesn't say, little little by little we're gaining access to disgrace. He doesn't say, we're hoping to have a fairly good prospect of not receiving wrath on the day of wrath. He doesn't say, you know, things are in, in part beginning to be patched up between us and God. He speaks rather definitively about what has occurred between God and and Him and the others and yourself. Words like, we have been justified. We have peace. We have access to this grace. We have a place of standing in the grace. God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given. We shall be saved from wrath. We have been reconciled. And those things for every one of you who is entrusting your soul to the grace of God through Jesus Christ, those are all true all the time for everyone who is entrusting themselves to Jesus Christ. Again, I think we don't always feel at peace. We don't always have that sensation of 
feeling though all things are well between us and God. And I know we, we still sin, we still offend Him. But the, the place of dealing, even with sin, we deal with that in terms of what has already been done by Him, in, by His grace, toward us, reconciling us to Himself through His Son. We deal even with our sin in terms of what He has already done. And I think that, that helps us. Um, having described these foundations, the Apostle mentions some rich results in our life. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. If you know the peace, if you know the peace that has been made for you by Christ's sacrifice, every consideration of the glory of God is a matter of joy. Think about this though, without peace, even God's glory is not a matter of joy. If not at peace with God. All that makes Him tremendous and awesome and splendid in His majesty is still a matter of fear. But when, according to these Gospel words, you are at peace with God, objectively at peace, then it is very full of hope. He's glorious and He will be glorified. Another thing that the uh, Apostle mentions here is that having peace with God we can rejoice even in the midst of suffering. He said that in our passage. Um, one commentator posed the possibility that a skeptical reader might object. Uh, one might scoffingly object, the commentator wrote, and say that Christians and all their glorying are yet strangely harassed and distressed in this life, which condition is far from being a happy one. You know, the... That, that kind of thing. But Paul says here, we can rejoice even when suffering comes. And I think, think, think about this, isn't it because we are at peace with Him? Suffering comes, it's not because of an alienation. It's not because of um, some conflict between us and God. He is with us even in the suffering. I think it is important to clarify when, the, when you have the words rejoicing in suffering, I think it's important to clarify that um, he is not speaking of suffering itself being the object of our joy. Does that make sense? He's not saying suffering itself is the object of our joy. Um, and tragedy may very rightly be before Him who loves us, tragedy may be mourned. But we may have joy even when it happens. And even in the midst. We can have joy because we're at peace with Him. Our experience is not springing from His wrath. Not springing from conflict. Not springing from alienation. And not only that, we can have the, the, in the big picture of our lives, we who trust God, the hardships allowed are not purposeless. Even they are used of God as it is described in our passage. 
Holding on to God because of trust in the knowledge of being at peace with Him has a way of increasing the capacity to hold on. Holding on, even in suffering, has, the, uh, has a way of increasing the capacity to hold on. Even through the experience of it, the soul becomes more deeply acquainted with the faithfulness of Him who loves us. And learning to hang in there is a deep, uh, 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 it constitutes a significant deepening of character. And those with such character as has come, even from suffering, are strengthened even in hope. It said so. Become more hopeful people, strengthened through the experience of that. And I wanted to ask again, again, just for you to think about, do you know anyone whose character and whose faith, stamina, and hope have been deepened through suffering? You know, to answer out loud. Do you know anyone whose faith character has been deepened through suffering? Um... Lori and I know a young family who has experienced suffering that I can't even dream about. Uh, it's a young family. Uh, their boy is five years old. And uh, just on February 16, he was um, released for the first time in 65 days from intensive care. Five years old. 65 days in a row in intensive care. Um, and then that was February 16 and then after being home three weeks less than three weeks right back in intensive care um, the intensive care location because it's so specialized is 400 kilometers from where they live and so mom has had to go dad with two more kids mom has had to go and be with them and these dear, dear Christian people have not been um, false about anything. They have described in, in their writings to friends who are praying, they have described the desperation they've had to feel with their child. Um, but at the same time, always, and I think, Gloria, you can attest to this, at the same time, always trusting God continuing to believe that he is good. The most recent you know, scripture quote that came from them that I have is, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Uh, from Nahum 1.7. When, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm reporting to you persons I've known whose character is remarkably deepened by their experience of this suffering. I would turn to those folks for advice, I'll tell you. Oh, for sure. Just from what and, and again, I, I don't speak as a man who suffered a lot. I don't I don't I you know, I don't know what that would be like to face something of that magnitude. But I have observed their deepened character holding on, continuing to hold on. Believing God to be good, and uh, and I'm I'm heartened by their expression of faith. 
And the Apostle says this hope will not disappoint us. Again, it's, it's very personal. He says, because the Lord has poured out his love. Um, in the book of Romans, watch for the, the frequent mention of love. <laughs> He's poured out his love by his Spirit. And, and just the, the personal nature of he's poured it out in our hearts. I think that must have something to do with the, the knowledge of his love. He's poured it out in our hearts. It's something that he has done. From verse 6 in this passage on to 11, we have the Apostle helping us in another way, uh, showing us another reason we may have confidence in God's love. And I'll, I'll say it right up front here. God's, God loved us before there was anything to prompt that love. God loved us before there was anything to prompt. And He loved us. Us, us whom he's, in whom He's kindled faith. He loved us when we didn't love Him. He loved us when we, for our part, were enemies. You have that phrase in verse 6, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for whom? For the ungodly. Um, what does that phrase, at the right time, mean? I think in one sense it's surely true that Christ penetrated history at precisely the correct chronological moment, not too soon, not too late in history, but I think the, the reference to time is different here. Um, I think it's worth consideration that in this sentence it may simply point to our condition. He loved us when, that's a time reference, right? When we were in this condition. And I think that's uh, when we were powerless to make peace with God. When it says in our weakness, it talks, speaks of our weakness. I think it's our powerless to make the peace happen by what we could do or anything like that. And I have thought this passage, uh, Romans 5, 1 to 11, uh, a good one to return to when we're not feeling confident that we're at peace with God. I don't know what it was like for you when I first asked the question, are you at peace with God? These verses are good to return to when we're not feeling the peace. Um, good, good that way. And I think they are a guard for us because... And it's a good news guard. Because I think it's an ordinary human condition, temptation, to try to, when, when we're distressed inside, wondering if we're at peace with God, to try to make that peace happen by making ourselves somehow newly acceptable to God. Working it. Desperate in it. Got to make myself somehow acceptable now to God. And it seems as though the message of the passage, the message of the whole letter is that His grace came to you when you were unacceptable. His, he chose to love you when you were unacceptable. You don't make acceptability happen. You just don't make that happen. You seek and find rest on Him and His love. Christ's righteousness um, I, I really have appreciated a quote from Robert Murray McShane, a heartening quote on this subject. He says, For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. 
He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace, and all for sinners, even the chief. And then with reference to God the Father, he says, feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love and repose in his almighty arms. Um, that's my hope for you this evening, uh, that you would know peace, experience peace on the grounds of the reality of what Christ has purchased for you. At peace with God. Your acceptability was never and will never be based on what you can provide. He loved you. He justified you. Christ, the righteous one, gave himself for you when you were his enemy. You may rest in him. Let's pray. Lord, teach us to know you as you are. Teach us to know the love that came our way, the love that is always yours toward those whom you're saving, that we may rest in it. For your name's sake, for your honor's sake, for your glory's sake, we pray.